Hello, and welcome to the Living Word Pensacola podcast. Here you will find teaching from our weekly services where we focus on developing a Christ-centered life. We are delighted you have chosen to spend time with us today, and we know today's message has the power to help you grow with your faith journey. So, let's turn our hearts and our minds to God's Word as we begin today's episode. Well, this week we're going to continue talking about the Holy Spirit, just like we have it's last week, and then we, we tied it into prayer, which is what we were teaching for several weeks before then. And um, starting in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for the saints. And then the this, this scripture I tacked onto that, James, John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. So we know the Holy Spirit was sent by Jesus from the Father when He uh, ascended. And uh, He is our comforter, He's our helper, He's our guide. Last week we had a great time. We, we dissect a little bit about the holy anointing oil in the Old Testament and exactly what it meant and what the components were, what those components symbolized and represented. Because as we all remember that the Old Testament is types and shadows. It is symbols and symbolic things that were written in the Old Testament to show us and to prepare the way, right? We know there's a lot of prophecies in Isaiah. There's a lot of things said in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled and walked out in the New Testament. And there are things that should be seen for us. And I kind of liken it to this, is that the, the people say, I've heard people talk about, you know, what if there's someone that doesn't tell somebody, what if there's a group of people somewhere that they don't know about Jesus and there was no one sent to tell them about Jesus. And the Bible says even the rocks will cry out because even nature, creation alone cries out that Jesus is holy and that the Lord is on the throne and declares his majesty through what was created. I feel that way sometimes. I, I remember the first time, of course, I grew up in corn country, middle of Illinois, where you could get on, if you got on a grain elevator, which is about, I don't know, half, half a quarter mile tall, you know, thousand feet or whatever, you get on grain elevator, you could see for 20 miles because it is flat and there ain't nothing there, right? But I remember the first time when I visited, or I moved, visited California, I ended up moving out to California, but we went up into the mountains. I had never experienced the mountains before, right? All I'd seen was flat country, and I went to college in Oklahoma. Oklahoma's even flatter, windier, and more tornadoes than it was in Illinois. The only thing I'd really experienced was driving through Missouri, right? Missouri's at least got some hills to it, you know, some decent hills, but I'd never experienced mountains before until I was then. And I, I tell you what, there is something about being in the mountains or the vastness of the ocean that just makes you realize there is a creator there is a God and man he thought some things out like you feel closer to the presence of God when you're in the mountains and you're like this is breathtaking I mean the just the vastness you feel so completely small and it's so humbling to think that he cared about something so small on this earth he cares about that even the hairs on our head even smaller than us but that's what he thinks about us. But as I've been diving into to the Old Testament, studying out um, certain things, a lot of this thought process and a lot of this teaching actually started with, at a single point in me. So, so recently I had, um, I had a, an occasion where someone said something about uh, anointing something with oil or anointing a person with oil. And I thought to myself, I'm from Illinois, right? I grew up in a Word of Faith church. 
I, ne I never went to a Catholic church. I attended one Methodist service with my grandparents when I was a kid, right? And I remember walking out of the Methodist service with my grandparents, and I remember them asking me what I thought about it, and I said, you guys stand up and sit down a whole lot. Like it was stand up for this and sit down for this and stand up for this. And that, that wasn't just how the church was that I grew up in. I grew up in a word of faith church where the pastor was a graduate of, of Rama Bible Training Center, which is where I went to, which is now Rama Bible Training College. I think they changed the name. Anyway, I wasn't used to that, right? So I've, I kind of grew up in a, in a denomination of sorts, even though not necessarily labeled, still sort of a kind of a group of people that all believe the same thing, sort of like a denomination. And anointing oil was usually some, I remember seeing it as a kid, you know, a little vial of it, we'd sit on the stage or whatever, but it wasn't really used a whole lot. It wasn't really talked about very much, wasn't really emphasized very much, wasn't something that's, that's as common as it is, as I've discovered in the South. Now in the South, the anointing oil, man, you don't have anointing oil, why are you even preaching? And I can tell you at this day, at this church, in this moment right now, there's no vial of oil in this building. There isn't. Isn't that wild? You're thinking, what? Pastor Paul is not even saved. There is no oil in this building. Not saying there's not going to be. I'm just saying, I thought, why? Right? My teacher analytics, both of my parents were teachers, right? So I know that the, the pastor teachers is the, the strongest gift in my life. When it talks about he sent some apostles, some prophets, some pastors, some teachers, you know, for the perfecting of the saints, work of the ministry. My calling in my life is pastor teacher. Pastor first, teacher second, right? So I have a gifting and anointing to be a pastor and a gifting and anointing to be a teacher. So that teacher in me wants to know why. I don't want to just see something. I want to know why, right? So I began this quest. And I started calling pastor friends that I know up north. And I began asking, you know, what's the difference? I, I called one friend of mine who was a pastor I respect. I would consider him more of a theologian, very, very deep and dives into things of the word a lot deeper than myself. Um, and I called up and I asked this question and I said, all right, so why is it that it's emphasized more in the South than it was in the North? Why was it not heavily emphasized in our churches? And the response I got back was, I know that's a great question. And I said, what do you mean you know that's a great question? He said, I know it's a great question because I don't have an answer. And I said, you don't have an answer? You surely were the one I was expecting an answer from. And I actually called several people and got responses from almost no one until I called one friend of mine who's been a, who was a pastor out in California and has done a lot of things in his life, but actually is now living in the South. And so I called up said person, and I said, uh, I asked the exact same question, and you know the response was this. The, res the response was amazing. I love it. Um, he said, I know it's a great question, and I've run across the exact same thing here in the South where it's heavily emphasized. And he said, the only, only really thing over all the, he did a lot of research kind of like I did. He said, the only thing I really come up with is that for some reason, there was a school of thought up North of, about, um, sim it's a symbolic thing, and I'll go into explain this more in just a minute. But basically, the conclusion that I came to and that we came to together on the phone, and then I shared this with my friend up north, and he goes, yeah, that makes sense. But remember in the Old Testament, right, we have the Ark of the Covenant, and we have the tablets in the Ark of the Covenant, and they're gone. Remember the prophet in the Old Testament? Where, remember Moses had a staff where the people were sick, and there was the gold on top of the staff. And when the prophet found it, he melted it down and got rid of it and destroyed it. And the people went nuts. Why would you destroy that? And he had a realization of, you shouldn't worship the item, you should worship what it represents and who sent it. 
So the conclusion I kind of came to is that somewhere along the line in the history, it's kind of like grandma's pan. Remember that whole story I told a few weeks ago? We just do things because we do things, and then we pass it into generations, and no one really knows why. Somewhere along the line, somebody got the impression that people thought the oil was the healing power of God and not what the oil represented. That's the only conclusion I could come to, right? There's nothing wrong with anointing people with oil. It's scriptural. It's in the Bible. And it's something that we should do. But it's also something that we should realize this. What is oil, right? So I started to die. This is the reason I dove into a lot of this teaching on oil is because if I'm going to do something, I want to know why I'm doing something, right? If I'm going to teach something, I want it to be scripturally based off the word of God. Why am I teaching what I'm teaching? And I'm not opposed to saying what I've done for the last 20 years is a little bit wrong, right? If the Lord is going to arrest me and say, hey, I need you to change something a little bit. Okay, Lord, I want to change something. Show me, teach me. I'm flexible. I want to know what's in your word and what does the Bible say? And why, somewhere along the line, did somebody decide to change it? You know, they do this in translations too, right? You can grab the NIV translation. There's, there's verses missing. Or they decided that verse didn't need to be in there. They took, there's three or four verses the NIV completely removed. And I find I have a problem with that. I want to know what the Bible says, what the real word, what does the word of God say, right? And, and I like it in the Passion Translation when you're reading then his, he, he will put little asterisks and stuff. And then I like to click on those because I want to know what he's thinking when he's writing this. And he'll put in there, uh, some translations left this out. Some, um, some translations left it out because we, and, and a lot of people don't understand this too. The manuscript or the, or the word of God is originally written by one person, but then they didn't have copy machines, right? So it's being handwritten and handwritten and handwritten. So there are times they will find two or three different manuscripts that all say the same thing, dated different times based on when they were written. And so they're having a conglomeration of those manuscripts. And so he'll stay in there. It's in these two manuscripts, but not this one. For some reason, it didn't get handwritten over to that one. But the majority of scholars believe, you know, it's kind of what they say. Now, I've really gone down rabbit holes this morning. I didn't intend on going down this morning, but I can't walk away from something without wanting to know why. And I, and I keep praying and asking God, show me, teach me, open my heart to see, right? Okay, so I started on the rabbit hole of why oil? Why specifically extra virgin olive oil? Okay, why specifically? And I found some interesting things, okay? Now, we know in Luke ten thirty three. The Samaritan was on his journey. He came up to the man hurting on the side of the road. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him, bandaged his rooms, pouring oil and wine on the wounds. Then he put him on his own animal and he brought him to the inn. Okay. And we know it says in James 5.13, this is the most quoted scripture. But this is where I guess a lot of people might have an issue. Right? A lot of scholars and what we were taught growing up is if you're going to form a belief, you need to form that belief on the minimal of three scriptures. And we try to find four or five. Right? Because if you're going to form a belief based on one scripture, you're going to have an unsecure belief. Now, I can show you that there are lots of scriptures in the Bible about oil. So we're not forming a belief off one scripture. But the one scripture that's quoted more than anything else is James 5.13. Is any of you among you suffering? He should praise. Anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. They should pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Okay? So the way it was taught when I was in school is this. Yes, you should pray over them. Now, this, if you go all the way back to the beginning, Dave, go back to 513, one slide back. Is anyone among you suffering? That word suffering means illness. 
It means sickness, right? So if you have sickness, you should pray. And we taught this when we taught on prayer a while back. You're not feeling good, you need to pray. Just like if you're happy, you should sing praises. If I've had a great day and something awesome happened to me, I'm not going to go to Aiden and say, can you sing because I'm happy, right? You would, that's why he put this in the scripture, because it doesn't make sense. Why would I ask you to sing if I'm happy? Why would I ask you to pray if I'm sick? If I'm sick, I need to pray. Then it says, is anyone among you sick, which actually means feeble. It means sick to the point of you don't have the energy to pray for yourself. Like you are, do, you are in dire straits. You are doing not so good. All right, that's literally what that word means, feeble, okay? Then you should call for the elders of the church. They are to pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. In other words, what the oil represents, okay? Then it says in verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the sick person. Not the anointing of oil, the prayer of faith. It's the faith behind what the oil means that saves the sick person. And I think this is where... And again, this is a guess because I haven't talked to every preacher over the last 40 years, but my guess is they wanted to put an emphasis on the prayer of faith instead of an emphasis on the anointing of oil because humans have a tendency to worship things we can see instead of believe a God we can't see. So somewhere along the Word of Faith movement, they thought we need to keep emphasizing faith because we're teaching faith right? There's nothing wrong with the oil, but we need to emphasize faith saves the sick, okay? So if someone in the South says, want you anoint with oil, that's great. Anoint with oil. Pull out the olive oil and go for it. You want to do it like they did in the Old Testament? You're pouring it out over their head so much, it's running through their whole body. So that's great. I mean, it's not just a little stuff on your forehead like a lot of people do these days. Like anointing with oil means like give it a bath. That's what it really means. But we need to understand what the oil represents. Now, I found this really interesting. Did you know there's actually studies been done on extra virgin olive oil? I did not know this, but I went down a rabbit hole. I like rabbit holes sometimes. All right, so I researched this, and they call it EVOO, extra virgin olive oil. Anyway, EVO, we'll call it for short, actually has proven beneficial effects in skinned wound healing of chronic liaisons. I'm going to read this to you because I copied and pasted from this medical website that I found. However, the effects of Evo in acute wounds are not completely understood. So they know that it actually helps, but they don't know why. So that, that they did a huge massive research. Then there was 14 paragraphs that I skipped. And I went to the very bottom where it said, in conclusion. And I thought, that's where I want to start right there. I can't understand half of what they're telling me in this medical journal. But this is what it said. In conclusion. A diet, means you're consuming it, rich in extra virgin olive oil, has a positive effect on acute wound healing that is dependent on the duration of the olive oil administration. Long-term olive oil administration reduces the oxidative damage and enhances anti-inflammatory responses, which improved acute wound closure. Isn't it interesting that olive oil helps you recover when you're sick? They didn't have medicine. They didn't have doctors. They didn't have stitches. They didn't have antibiotics. They didn't have any of the stuff we have nowadays. But God told them when someone's sick, when there's a wound, pour olive oil on it. It's like God knew what it would do. And he instructed, do you know God did that? Do you know there's a reason why in the Old Testament that, that the Israelites don't eat pork? 
because they're infested with bugs and junk, and there's, there's, there's garbage in pork, because pigs eat everything. And it's probably a very unhealthy animal. Now, pork nowadays versus pork then, we have the ability to see what's in the pork. We have the ability to keep the pork clean so that it's clean for consumption, but they didn't back then. But yet God instructed them not to eat pork. Was it because necessarily the pig was bad? No, because we learn in the New Testament that, remember when he showed up to Paul and the whole blanket of animals came down and said, partake, what I've called clean, man shall not call unclean. What he was doing in the Old Testament was trying to protect his kids with medical science they had no knowledge of, right? To keep them healthy, wealthy, and wise. He was trying to protect them. And I find it amazing that olive oil does that. It has healing properties to it. Extra virgin olive oil has he- Now, I'm not telling you to go home and pour olive oil on your wounds, okay? We do have modern medicine. We got antibiotics, right? We got things... And I'm convinced of this, and I will say it to anybody, right? Get all the help you can get. If you are not feeling good, you need to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. You need to go into the hospital and have surgery, go have surgery, right? How did we learn about antibiotics? Have you studied the whole story behind antibiotics? How is God inspired? I'm convinced. You can follow the medical journals, and I tried to find it, but nobody will willing to publish it online. But you can't tell me that he just thought that up on his own. I believe that God directs man's path to give us creative answers and solutions to things to help us, right? To help us. That's what, that's what vaccines were originally supposed to be, and I'm really trying hard not to go down another soapbox path right now, but original vaccines were created and are beneficial and help us. Not the new stuff they're making these days that's not even technically a vaccine. There's my soapbox. But God can show you things in your life that will help you and benefit you even if you don't understand why when you have that relationship with him, okay? Now, we also know that this olive oil represents the Holy Spirit, right? The unholy anointing oil. We went through this last week, all right? So so now we know, we've established that the oil is representation of the Holy Spirit. So when we read James 5.13, right, you are going to pray over him, anoint him with oil, which in other words, you need to pour the Holy Spirit out into his life, stand in the prayer of faith, right, because we're going to do this by the Spirit, like it says in Ephesians 6.18, right? We're going to do this by the Spirit, and that will save the sick. It's a combination. This is what we're supposed to do as a New Testament church right? And if you want to use actual olive oil as a, so they have a physical, rep, physical representation of what the Holy Spirit is, that's not bad. And there's nothing wrong with it at all. Do we have the original anointing oil in the Old Testament with all the extra ingredients in it? No, because God said, don't make that anymore. But in the New Testament, when you read everywhere, it says they used olive oil is specifically what it says in the New Testament. And it even says that if you go through the gospels, he said, they laid hands on sick, anointed them with oil, and many were healed. So it was something that Jesus did with his disciples when they were on this earth. And there's nothing wrong with it. As long as we realize that the oil itself is not the healing power of God. It's what it represents. It's helping us understand the anointing. Okay? Because it's representation of the anointing. Now, we know that oil in types and shadows is the Holy Spirit. Right? So what is Jesus? What represents Jesus? Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice on the cross, and it's blood. Blood represents Jesus. So in the Old Testament, 
right? They had to do a ton of sacrifices and a lot of blood flowed to cover their sins. When Jesus died on the cross, his blood did not cover our sins. His blood washed our sins away, making us white as snow is what it says. A one-time sacrifice for a permanent result, not a continual sacrifice to get to continual results with a lot of dead sheep, a lot of sacrifices. I mean, you read through the Old Testament, it was bloodbath. It was just constant, right? Okay. So we know that blood represents Jesus and the oil represents the Holy Spirit. Now, knowing that, we can look in the Old Testament and everybody's favorite book, Leviticus. You guys spend a lot of time reading Leviticus, don't you? It's everybody's favorite book. I know it. But let's look at this. In Leviticus 14.1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying this. Now, what do we know? God instructed Moses. He's giving him instructions, okay? And he says, this shall be the law of the leper... For the day of his cleansing, he shall be brought to the priest. Now, a couple thoughts before we move on. This is going to be law set up by God, okay? In the Old Testament, they had the law. In the New Testament, we have the covenant of grace, okay? So we know in the Old Testament that he set this up as a law for a leper. Does anybody know what a leper is, right? That's a person with a skin disease, right? And it is actually not what i when I was a kid, they told us your fingers and toes were going to fall off and your ears would fall off. <laughs> Apparently that is not leprosy. Okay. Leprosy is a skin disease that is just highly irritable, makes you miserable. It's constantly itchy and it creates blotches. Um, and it's only mildly contagious. It's not even highly contagious. And as a matter of fact, most people carry the antibiotics naturally in their system to never get leprosy. So most people, which they say like 80% or more of the world, can go into a leper colony and never get leprosy. Okay? But now we're talking thousands of years ago before they had modern science and could look under a microscope and see exactly what was happening. Leprosy was something they saw and didn't understand, and it was not fun, and they wanted no part of it. So what happened to people that had leprosy? They couldn't even live in the community. They were living outside of the community in their own leper colony is what they would call it. They, and, and it wasn't really by their own control. It wasn't that God afflicted them with leprosy. Bible never says that. But they didn't know how to get rid of it. And they were convinced that it was contagious. And if they brought them in the colony, everybody would get it, which turns out not to be true. But this is how they were treated based on the information they had at the time. Now, I find this very interesting. In the entire Old Testament, God took the time to establish a law with Moses regarding a leper becoming clean from leprosy and the process that it would take to bring him back into the community of non-lepers. Okay? God took the time to tell this to Moses, and he wrote it down. In the entire Old Testament, one person is recorded as being cleaned of leprosy, and that was Naaman. After the miracle happened from the prophet, he told him to wash in the Jordan River seven times. Why would God lay out an entire process for leprosy when very few people, if any, maybe one, would ever get cleaned of leprosy? Why bother taking the time, right? That, that, my teacher thinking in me is going, something's off here, right? Okay, so God took the time to do this, but we only actually see one person cleaned of leprosy. So... Don't you think that God has a reason for everything that he does and that he's laying things out for us? There's still things in this world that we don't necessarily understand, but God wants to keep us from harm, right? 
He's trying to show us how to protect ourselves. He's trying to show us what it means. He's trying to give us types and shadows. Don't you think that God knows the end of the result of the creation of artificial intelligence in this world? Do you think he knows the path that AI is going to take us down in society? Do you think God knew the results of, of MySpace, Facebook, and Twitter when they were created? Do you think he knew what it would do to his people? Do you think maybe, and I know our pastor in Illinois and several others where God said, don't be on social media at all. It will harm what you have to do as part of your calling. Right? But there's only a handful of people of everybody I know that are Christians where they got a word from the Lord saying, don't do that. Did God tell everyone? Well, I don't know. Maybe he did and we weren't listening. I've often asked God that. God, did you tell me something and I missed it and wasn't paying attention? You know, I'm sure there are a lot of things that he tried to tell me that I didn't listen and didn't pay attention to. And I just ask for forgiveness, grace, and repent and move on and say, please tell me now. Right? I want to know these things now. But don't you think God knew the end of, you know, when, when my kids were little, right? We wanted to do the vaccines that were necessary at the time, the ones that were proven to work, right? I don't want my kids to get measles, mumps, or rubella, which is making a comeback or whatever. And we know this is a proven vaccine, right? But as a dad, I'm going, I'm watching my kid get a shot and they're screaming bloody murder in the doctor's office like the doctor's chopping their head off, you know? One that some of my kids were more dramatic than others of my kids. Then there was those cases where Coben was watching, wasn't it, it was, he was going, Dr. Ray was trying to give Daxel a shot, and Coben tried to get between him to protect his brother. He was trying to give Brock a shot. Trying to get Brock a shot, and Coben tried to step in between and try to stop the doctor. He was trying to protect his brothers. Like, this is not a fun experience, right? But as a parent, you're watching your kids knowing the outcome, but they're still in pain, and they're still wondering why it hurts. How many times has God said, I need you to do something that might cause some emotional pain, right? Might cause you a little bit. You feel like you're not like anyone else, but I'm trying to protect you from something 20 years from now that you don't even understand in the mental state that you're in. Baby Christians feel that way a lot. I come into church and you want me to do what? You want me to spend time every morning? You want me to give my money to the church? I don't understand all of these things, but we're trying to set them up for a successful Christian life, even when they don't understand why the actions they're taking have the benefits they need to see. But what we do is we begin to teach them. Now I can look at my kids and the age that they are and say, this is what a vaccine does. It is a dead virus that is teaching your body to build up an immunity to that sickness. So if it ever comes around you, your body will kill it. Because where our body is the, is the most perfect creation made by God, designed to fight off sickness, designed to heal itself. Your body is an amazing thing that God made. And they're still studying it to this day. And it amazes people. I can talk to them now, but when they were babies getting shots, I wouldn't have been able to explain that to them. There's times when you have people that you're working with as Christians, when they're baby Christians, you need to spend less time explaining and more time protecting and saying, this might hurt for a moment, you'll understand eventually. Let me show you how this process is done. You're gonna have to trust me. You're gonna have to trust me. And there's times where God's saying, I need you to take a step of faith. And you're going, that's a big step. And it looks like I'm about to fall off the cliff. But God's saying, trust me do we trust him now this gets very interesting god's instructions to the priest now remember old testament really bloody all right first the priest and i'm just going to skip a whole lot of scriptures just to make it easier so this is the pastor paul revised synopsis version right this is the pastor paul digest it's kind of like the reader's digest but a little more scriptural now 
First, the priest leaves the camp, goes to the leper colony, and inspects the person who says they're healed of leprosy. Checks them from top to bottom. Looks at every inch of skin on their body, right? Because it's a skin disease. That if that person is clean, and visibly the, the, the priest can see they're clean, then he takes two birds for sacrifice, cedar wood and hyssop, okay? One bird is killed in this, this pouring water contraption they have, is running water. The bird is killed, right? The blood of the bird that's killed is then taken, and they take the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the alive bird and dip it in the dead bird's blood. The alive bird is then, well, actually, the priest takes the, the, the blood and sprinkles it seven times, all right? Seven times. And the, the Bible's all about numbers, too. Seven actually means something, but we'll go into that a different day. Sprinkles the person seven times with the bloody mixture. Then that person, after being sprinkled with the blood seven times, shaves their entire body top to bottom. Every ounce of hair in their body gets shaved off, okay? Then the priest takes the second bird that's still alive that was dipped in the first bird's blood and sets it free, lets it go, okay? And then there's a lamb that becomes sacrificed and several offerings. There's the wave offering, the burnt offering, the sin offering, and the trespass offering. One of these days, we'll go into all the different offerings of the Old Testament, but that's not for today. That's not the point I'm trying to make today. We're going to jump all the way to Leviticus 14.14. Then it says, it specifically starts talking about the trespass offering. The priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering, and the priest shall also put it on the tip of the right ear of the person that's to be cleansed, right? So the blood on his right ear, the blood is to be put on the tip of his right hand and the big toe of his right foot. Now remember, this person is naked and shaved from top to bottom, right? Because they were sprinkled, they shaved completely, Right? So the priest took the blood from the sacrifice, puts it on his right ear, his right thumb, and his bright big toe. Then the priest takes some of the log of oil, pours it into the palm of his left hand, takes the tip of his right finger, dips it in the oil on his left hand, and puts oil on his finger and sprinkles it seven times before the Lord. There's that number seven, which is actually the number of completion. Then he takes the oil in his hand, puts some on the tip of the man's right ear, his right hand, and his right big foot on the blood of the trespass offering. The rest of the oil left in the hand, right, is poured over the head of the person being cleansed. And the priest shall make atonement before him before the Lord. Now, this is the instruction that God gave Moses to do for a leper being cleansed. Right? We know leprosy is a skin disease. Right? As humans born into this world... We are born into sin. The picture that God is trying to show us here is a picture of salvation. We are born sick. When we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we become saved. What's the first thing applied to the three places in his body? Is the blood. Jesus is applied to his ear, his thumb, and his toe. Then what's applied? The oil on top of the blood. So we know we have to receive salvation first before we can receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit. This is the picture he's showing us here, okay? Now, you cannot receive the Holy Spirit without receiving the price paid by Jesus on the cross and his blood that washes you clean and makes you able to go through this process of becoming clean, all right? Now, what happens 
Um, I'm getting ahead of my notes here. Well, it's here somewhere. But what happens when the leper's cleansed? He no longer lives in the leper colony. He comes back into living with all the people. In other words, he comes from the diseased into the kingdom. We have another picture of Jesus showing us you are now welcomed back in. You are now received in the brethren. You now partake of all the benefits of the kingdom of heaven. And you no longer have to act like you're living in the leper colony. That's a picture of salvation. You're now back in the kingdom of heaven. You don't have to act like you're the sinner living in this world. You can go visit the sinners, but you're no longer a sinner. Okay? Now, let's talk about the three areas. The first thing it says is he takes the blood and puts it upon the right ear. Okay? So the ear in the Bible is symbolic of guidance and direction. Okay? The believer or the unbeliever, a person who, is, who has sinned and is not saved yet, cannot hear the voice of God for guidance and direction. Right? It says in 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. You can't know the things given to you by God until you have received Jesus and the Holy Spirit. He begins to show you things to come. Right In Revelation, when there's the prophecy to the churches, what does he say to all the different churches? He who has the ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Your ear is your guidance, is your direction. So is your, are your ears washed in the blood and anointed with the Holy Spirit so that you can listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church and saying to you as a Christian? If you want to know if you have a problem with guidance and direction in your life, have you really accepted Jesus, Lord and Savior, and yielded to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to lead and guide you in your life? This is talking about direction. In John 10, 25, Jesus answered them and said, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. Because I say to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. In other words, if you are one of Jesus' sheep, you're gonna hear his voice. You're gonna know his voice. Right? Because that blood was placed on your ear. That oil placed on top of the blood. You will know him. You will know him. I was watching a show and it was talking about there are still to this day shepherds in the Middle East and they have flocks of sheep and they, you know, wear the big long dress and they have their sheep and that's how they're still to this day shepherds in the Middle East. Okay. And they oftentimes will gather together because there'll be big grass patches and they want to allow their sheep to, to graze and to feed or whatever. And they all kind of end up sometimes in the same place. And there could be two or three herds of sheep with two or three shepherds. And next thing you know, right. All the sheep are together. And then you're going, all right, well, whose sheep's whose sheep? Well, back up north, or if you get out into Texas, you could tell whose is whose because they've branded it. You know, they put a hot iron to their backside and put their brand on it. Well, they don't do that with sheep. You try to brand a sheep, you probably end up causing problems and killing it because sheep just can't handle that kind of, they don't do that, right? But when I was watching the show, it actually said this. They all gathered together. And they would fellowship and hang out. But when one shepherd decided it was his time to leave, and it actually showed it was kind of, kind of cool, stood up and made this clicking sound with his mouth. It was this weird whatever clicking sound and started walking. And all the sheep that were his knew that sound and started following him. As he walked away, all of a sudden he had a trail of sheep behind him. Literally, the sound of his voice separated his sheep from the rest of the sheep that were standing there. 
So these are pictures that we don't understand because we're not shepherds in the Old Testament. But when Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they'll follow me, literally means we recognize his voice so much that we're being separated from other sheep to follow after him by a sound that he makes. It's fascinating. I find that really cool. They literally just make the sound or this whistle or this click and the sheep follow right after him. The only representation I have of that is that I grew up shoveling manure so that I could ride horses, right? I loved riding horses. Well, the guy that I shoveled manure for so that I could ride his horses had a couple cows. And he would stand at the edge of the field, and he had one cow that was a female cow that he'd had for a long time. And he would call the cow. That cow would come from the far pasture in, and the rest of the cows would follow that cow. And he made this really loud, obnoxious, almost like a pig call, you know, or whatever, big, loud, obnoxious call, and this cow would come trompsing on in. That's the only thing I've personally experienced, and I've never been to Israel, but it's kind of like that. Do you know his voice when he's calling to you? But see, that blood on the ears representation of we should be led by the Spirit, and we have the ability to be led by the Spirit because we're washed in the blood. Now, it also says upon the right thumb. Right, because he did the right ear, now he did the right thumb. And that thumb, which is part of our hand, is symbolic of our actions. Okay, these are our actions. In Colossians 3.16, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts and making melody to the Lord. And whatever you do in word... Or indeed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do your actions represent Jesus? Do your actions represent Jesus? I was thinking that way when I was driving down the road this week. You know, my actions representing Jesus is the biggest struggle while I'm driving. Because there are a lot of idiots on the road. And I want to honk my horn right? I want to just sit in front of somebody and block them for a while just because they're being dumb, you know? And I know I'm not the only one because I was on the phone with somebody else that was driving this week and listening to her yell at all the different cars. But do my actions represent Jesus, right? They might not ever meet me as a person. They might not ever know anything about me, but do my actions represent Jesus? Just because somebody doesn't actually meet me doesn't give me the excuse to not act like Jesus. Just because they don't see me or know me does no excuse to not act like Jesus. Right? Do you ask the Holy Spirit to guide your actions and directions? See, He wants to use your hands to bless people. In Psalms 90, 17, it says, And let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands for Yes, establish the work of our hands. Our hands are a channel or an avenue for the Holy Spirit to work through us. I remember Brother Hagin telling the story of when he met Jesus and Jesus said, hold out your hands and he touched his hands and they gave him the healing ministry that he went and laid hands on the sick and there was many, many people healed in his ministry, right? But I've also experienced recently where some people were saying, we need another Brother Hagin who can go around laying hands on the sick and see miracles happen. And I thought, I don't see anywhere in the Bible where it says we're to believe God for a man. Right? What happened in the Old Testament when they insisted on having a king? It made God mad. If we insist on having a person that's anointed so that we can get a blessing instead of living the life of faith and obtaining the blessing through faith. Right? 
He said that. You know, it's interesting because in the Old Testament, they tried to tell us about this. You know, if we look in the Old Testament, there's a lot of answers and there's types and shadows that we would understand this. But in 2 Kings 13, 14, when Elisha became sick at the end of his time, right? Elisha was the prophet. A lot happened through him. With the illness from which he died, King Jehosh, uh, Josiah, sorry, or Jehosah of Israel went down and wept over him. He had a relationship with him, and they worked really well together and said, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elisha responded, Go get a bow and an arrow. So the king went and got a bow and arrow. And Elisha said to the king of Israel, Grasp the bow. Okay, so here's your picture. The king went and got a bow and arrow. He put the arrow in the bow, and he grasped it like this. Then in verse 16, Elisha came up behind him, and he put his hands on the king's hands. What he was trying to tell the king through the rest of the story, and then Elisha ended up passing away and dying. What he's trying to tell the king is, it's not my hands that are doing the work. It's the Holy Spirit's hands on my hands. And if you have the relationship with the Holy Spirit that I have, he can guide your hands. See, it wasn't Brother Hagin's hands that performed the healing. It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his hands that performed the healing. See, so many people want somebody else to pay the price to get the anointing. This was all over the Old Testament. They wanted the prophet to pay the price to get the anointing so that they can receive the blessing but still live how they wanted to live instead of living the life that it took to obtain the anointing. And in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit was released for all, right, we're all supposed to be full of the Spirit. We're all supposed to have signs and wonders following, but we're not willing to live the life or pay the price to have the anointing that we expect, and we want somebody else to do it for us so that we can live selfishly for ourselves, but still receive the blessings of the kingdom. So is the Holy Spirit on your hands? Do you allow yourself to yield your life enough to Him to where you allow His hands to come on your hands to do the work of the ministry, which might mean you need to go lay hands on the sick? And the prayer of faith will save the sick. But it takes your hands. It takes your hands. There is, a, there is a proven anointing transfer at a point of contact when you're touching someone. I've heard many, many ministers talk about it when they're praying for people on the altar. And the moment that they touch them, a variety of things happen. Brother Hagin used to say at the moment they would touch him, he could feel the power of God go out. I know there were several times where he said he felt the power of go, go, God go out and then it came right back and like jolted him. Like the, the person didn't receive it. They didn't want it. They were there for healing or something was blocking the power of God flowing out. There are times Brother Hagin would talk about he would lay hands on somebody. He would instantly have a word of wisdom or knowledge. He would know something. You're here believing for healing, but you're in unforgiveness and you need to change your path of your life. He would know something. He would know what's preventing their healing and he would tell them. And he wore, but it was at the moment of contact. It was at a moment of touch. The Holy Spirit's hands want to be on your hands so that you can affect work in the ministry for the kingdom of what God wants to do, what God wants to produce in this world. But it requires us to live our life yielded to Him with the oil and the blood on our hand guiding what we do. Now, it also says, upon the big toe of His right foot, okay, the foot is representation of the gospel of peace many times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Isaiah 52, 6, it says, Therefore my people will know my name. Therefore they will know that on that day that I am he who says, Here I am. He's prophesying about the Lord Jesus coming. 
And he says in verse 7, How beautiful are the mountains or the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings good news of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. But he says, How beautiful are the feet. Because the foot is tied into representation of the gospel of peace, of proclaiming the good news, of preaching salvation. You know where else it says this? It says this in the New Testament, right? What about Ephesians 6.13? Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand on the evil day and having done all to stand, stand. Therefore, stand, having girded your waist with truth, put on the breastplate of righteousness, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In other words, this is part of the armor that we Christians are supposed to be wearing. We are supposed to shod our feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our feet take us to where we can proclaim the gospel. Our feet carry us to be able to share the good news and salvation. Then it says in verse 16, Above all, take in the shield of faith, which you've been able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of spirit, which is the word of God, praying always, well, we're back into what we already recognize, right? The whole armor of God tied right into praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end. What is the armor of God for? To do battle in the spirit and to do battle by prayer and to take care of what God has asked us to do, which is to not let anyone die but preach the word of God so that everyone can know. And those signs and wonders following are a drawing effect like we talked about last week. There is a drawing effect that happens. When the, when the power of God is displayed, it will pull people to him. When God moves, people showed up, right? When the tongues fell in the Old Testament in Acts 2, 3,000 got immediately saved. When the power of God shows up, People recognize it and will respond to it and is that natural drawing effect of the Holy Spirit like we talked about. Now, we know at the very end it said when there was remaining oil, he took the remaining oil in the priest's hand and he poured it over the man's head. Now, this is the symbolic of the consecration like we talked about when he anointed the priest, the prophet, priest, and king with the anointing oil. So this is symbolic of the consecration and the new position back into society. Remember, he no longer has to live with the lepers. He now gets to live with everyone else because he lived outside, but he's now welcome back in the kingdom. When the Holy Spirit anoints your head, you have to start seeing yourself as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. You're not in this world anymore. You are a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So how do you view yourself? See, when you view yourself as of this world and not of the kingdom of heaven, you won't have access to the things and the benefits of the kingdom of heaven, right? I can go to Thailand, and I've been to Thailand. But if I go to Thailand, and there's problems and troubles and issues, but I never realize that I'm a citizen of the United States and the benefits that come from being a citizen of the United States, I'll never tap in or even access what's available to me as a citizen of this kingdom. How many people are living like John 17, 14? I have given them your word and the word is hated. world has hated them because they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Jesus said, you're not of this world. I'm not of this world. But how many people choose to live their life like they're in this world even though we're not in this world and then they wonder why they have problems but they never access the answers. But you know what Jesus did in verse 15? He didn't say, I'm coming to take you out of this world. I'm going to rescue you from all these problems. Nope. He says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, 
but that you should keep them from the evil one. In other words, he's saying, these got stuff he needs to learn while he's in this world and needs to work on getting other people saved. I'm not just going to pull you out of all these problems. I'm going to teach you how to walk through these problems and grow stronger and learn the lessons that you need to learn so that your life has changed, your character has changed, who you are has changed, and you become more like Christ. That's what he ultimately is doing. We know this, according to Psalms 23, that the Lord is our shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. I find it interesting how I work through all the different translations, and only one of them doesn't use the word makes. Almost all of them do. And I think, why does God have to make me lie down in a good place? You know what that says? He's telling me, don't get, don't get consumed with the problems of this world to where you refuse to rest in me. We get so stressed, so worked up over things that are really irrelevant, and we come to God, right? How many of y'all, and you, most, some, most of your parents, right? You got that seventh grade kid, comes home from school, and wants to tell you about the drama from seventh grade, and the world is falling apart. Right? Have you ever met that seventh grade kid where the world is falling apart because everything that's going on in their school is, I mean, their life is rocked and this is a problem and you are not going to believe what Johnny said and Susie was so mad and there was all this stuff and, all this, and, and you could tell by how they are talking about it that it is rocking their world. And that's all I can think about when some Christians go to God. God, you are not going to believe what is happening in this world. And God's looking at them going, oh, yeah. You know, you try to be compassionate. You try to care about your kid, but you're looking at him going, that has nothing to do with the rest of your life or anything on the broad spokes. But you care about them and you love on them. You don't discourage them. You build a relationship with them, which is what God does to us. But he says, you know, I'm going to make you lie down, right? How many times as adults we said that our childhood punishments were our adult goals, like taking a nap? Remember when mom and dad used to make you take, I don't want to take a nap. You have to take a nap. I'm not even tired. Lay down for two minutes. 30 seconds later, you know. Yeah, you weren't tired at all. And then you fight it, you know, fighting going to bed. And nowadays, like, can I take a nap? I just really want to take a nap. Is there time in the day for me to take a nap? I love to have a nap right about now, right? Punishment. Anyway, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. If you are spending time with God, you will come away with a restored soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his same sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're not supposed to live in it. You're not supposed to camp in it. You're not supposed to build a house in it. You're supposed to walk through it. I will fear no evil. Why I won't fear no evil? Because his rod and staff comfort me. Correction and discipline Keep me from fearing evil. Oh, that's interesting. I know. That's a whole nother sermon. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You are constantly pouring out the Holy Spirit into my life until my cup runs over. And then what happens when you're anointed with oil? Oh, goodness and mercy. Follow me all the days of my life and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we understand what the Holy Spirit is for, when we understand how the Holy Spirit is represented, we'll understand the blessings that come from Him, the guidance that comes from Him. 
We'll understand that we need to listen to what the Holy Spirit's telling us. We need to do what He's telling us to do. We need to share the gospel with who He's telling us to share the gospel with. And we need to consecrate our lives to live before Him to see the blessings of the kingdom. Then we get the full picture of what the Holy Spirit was sent to this earth for. And we'll begin to recognize the difference between the Spirit within us and the Spirit that comes upon us, which we're going to start talking about next week. But as a teaser, let's go back to our favorite book in the Bible. Leviticus (laughs) chapter 2, verse 4. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 4. When you present a grain offering baked in an oven, it is to be made of fine flour, either unleavened cakes mixed with oil or unleavened wafers coated with oil. If your offering is a grain offering prepared on a griddle, it is to be unleavened bread made of fine flour mixed with oil. So what do I mean? There's oil in the bread. There's oil in. Then break it into pieces. There's a picture of the cross. And then pour oil on it. So we had oil within, then we got salvation, now we got the oil on, and it becomes an offering before God. Here's an Old Testament picture of the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit on us, which is where we're going to go next week. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to come together and learn from you, to learn about the Holy Spirit so that we understand who He is and His role in our life, that we know, Holy Spirit, how to yield to you how to honor you, how to reverence you. When we begin to talk about the Holy Spirit, He makes His presence known in our midst. Holy Spirit, You are welcome in this place. You are reverenced here. You are honored here, sir. We ask You to move amongst us. Move in our presence and show Yourself strong on our behalf. Reveal Yourself to us, Holy Spirit. We honor You, sir. We will listen to your guidance and direction. We will do the things you're telling us to do and we will share the gospel with everyone we meet. We choose to consecrate our lives before you live consecrated lives, holy and worthy of your anointing that is poured out. Holy Spirit, move in our midst to heal the sick, to set the captives free, to deliver those bound with devils and demons so that everyone can experience the green pastures, the overflowing cups, and all the benefits of being in the kingdom of heaven. Holy Spirit, we honor you here. We reverence you here. Father, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear everything you have for us in these coming weeks as we learn about the Holy Spirit, His presence, His power, and His working in the New Testament church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Paul, and I wanted to thank you personally for joining us today. Now, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do that will help us out. Hit the subscribe button and rate and review our podcast. If you would like to invest in helping us reach more people for Christ, head over to livingwordpensacola.com and click on the online giving button. Thanks again for joining us today. Now go out and tell somebody about the love of Jesus.